This is Maxine and the Planets Unknown, a sci-fi audiobook in podcast form. Written by, produced by, and performed by me, Brad Lawrence, in a tiny little side room in my Brooklyn apartment. And guys, this is the last episode. This is the last episode of Maxine and the Planets Unknown. This is where it all ends. Uh, I am bringing it to a close. I hope you guys have enjoyed this so much. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, if anyone wants to reach out and let me know uh, how they felt about all of this, I will get my email address. Uh, It is brad.lawrence77 at gmail.com or reach me through my website where uh, Maxine and the Planets Unknown is housed. That is bradlawrenceartist.com, all one word. Um, And guys, again, thank you guys so much for being here and being on this journey with me and, and, and listening to Maxine's adventures on the planet Oxalis. Uh, this has been a huge pleasure to do this. Uh, this It has meant a lot to me to be able to write this and put out these episodes and have you guys respond to it. And it's been uh, great. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how you all feel about where it comes to its end. Um, I'll be back. There is still a quarantine going on. I am still trapped in my little tiny Brooklyn apartment with a microphone. So I'm going to figure out the next project over the next few weeks and when I want to start that. Uh, so please keep an ear out for that if you enjoyed this. And I'm, I'm assuming if you've, if you've gotten this far, you enjoyed it. I would hope so. Um, but for now, let's get started. Let's Enough of all this blubbering, damn it. Let's get on with this. Maxine and the Planets Unknown, Episode 25, Chapters 61, 62, 63, 64, and the Epilogue. And now, Chapter 61. Sumner had never felt more helpless. He was going to die knowing that Maxine and Laurent were going to be devoured by the burrower as well, and he could do nothing to stop it. He didn't even seem to be able to get their attention. The ropey black mass of needles was now hovering over him. It was like it was trying to pick its spot. Sumner could smell its tarry, old, rotten blood scent as it leaned into him. It was going to start with his face, but then it looked sharply down at his gut. Sumner realized that he was already opened up and ready to be torn into. The creature was going to take the easy way. Sumner's breathing hitched. His heart rolled into each slamming beat with brutal effort, and his head began to swim. He shut his eyes. Death is death, and all pain ended, but he wished more than anything that he could save Maxine from this. Then, nothing happened. Seconds went by. Then he opened his eyes, and the burrower was gone. Chapter 62. 
That is what you get for playing soldier. All your friends are dead and you're alone because you didn't have what it takes to hack it in the real military. You led all your little wannabes out here to get blown up and turned into meat jelly in tin cans. He would not shut up. Laurent covered her ears, but she could still hear him. It doesn't matter. Just like you, every single one of them was a waste. It was like he was inside her skull. She had this sudden vision of a spider with her father's face on it crawling into her ear and burrowing its way into her brain. The galaxy is better off with those pretend soldiers dead or liquefied or burnt to bits. You did the world a favor by leading them to their stupid deaths. She looked up at him, and he grinned. From the corners of his grin, there was movement, like tiny searching whiskers. Then they came, spiders crawling out of the corners of his mouth, black things with spindly legs and giant bulbous abdomens, swollen and shiny. You did the world a favor by killing those losers. The spiders poured down the front of her father's shirt and pants and were on her before she knew it. They were swarming up her calves and thighs, and she started frantically swatting at them, pounding at her legs. But then they were just on her hands, enveloping her forearms in crawling black horror. You don't know how many people would be happy to know that you rid the world of your shit-stained friends. And all that's left now is your shit-stained self. Then they were on her face and she could feel them working their way into her nose, clawing for purchase in her sinus passage. She could feel them in her ears. She could feel them trying to find their way into her mouth and under her eyelids. If she screamed, that would just give them their chance. She dropped to her knees, clawing at her face, and then it stopped. It stopped and they were gone. And so was... So was her father. She had flecked blood in her fingertips and nails. She'd scratched up her forehead and cheeks, but the spiders and her dad were now gone. She looked around, adrenaline still zipping through her like fire. She saw Sumner lie against a mushroom. He was looking at Maxine. Maxine was standing up a few feet ahead of Sumner. She was looking at something else. She followed Maxine's gaze. Mr. Humphreys was back, not looking at any of them. Maxine said, Thank you. Mr. Humphreys said nothing. Chapter 63 Why did you do that? Maxine asked. Mr. Humphreys did not answer. He also did not turn to face her. He stared at the wall. Why this, she wondered. Why this pose? Why? If he, if it, if it didn't want to look them in the eye, didn't want to answer their questions, then just don't appear. It was as confounding as the question it was refusing to answer. Why had it tried to scare them? Why terrify them when it was just going to kill them anyway? It made no sense. Or did it? 
That was when she realized that the pocket of sadness she had found, the deep, still well behind the horror, that was not her sadness. You, you connected us, she said. You didn't mean to, but now the connection goes both ways. Is that right? He still didn't answer. You didn't know what would happen. You've never done this before. You have invaded the consciousness of other people, but you never used it for communication both ways. Not with someone like us. Not with a mind that was capable of thinking. Not like ours are. You didn't know. You didn't know how it would affect you. She looked at her shoes. But you've been curious. You've seen in the minds of those that came before a bigger universe, bigger than your orbit around this little star of yours. You only wanted to protect yourself, this world, but along the way, you couldn't help but see those other worlds, and your curiosity started to grow. She looked back up at the badger. Because you don't know if you are alone. I see it. I see you. He turned and glared at her. There was a warning in his gaze. It brought her up short, but then she went on. What we have is each other. We have relationships, but you are singular. And in all the minds you have seen, you have never seen any memory that would indicate that there is anyone or anything else like you out there. And now, because of this, because you let me in, now you know more than ever what it means to be alone. Did you think making us fear you or making us hate you would make it easier to kill us and then go back to your isolation? Mr. Humphreys looked away again. It doesn't matter what I thought. I have a responsibility. It cannot be avoided. I have to protect this world, and you are a threat to it. You know, as well as I do, that this is true. We'll keep coming. Sumner's voice was barely a croak. They all turned to look at him. People won't stop coming just because you kill us, or kill all the passengers on the Contiki. More will just come, and they will keep coming, until they figure out how to make it safe for us to live here, whatever that might mean for you. Maxine looked back at Humphreys. He's right. Everyone else you showed me, they had reasons why they wouldn't be back. The hive colony, they were a shot in the dark. Their queen knew that some of the colonies would thrive, and some would fail, and they wouldn't waste resources on dead ends. The space sails never stayed in the same place or even returned a way they'd already come. It would never even occur to them to deliberately come back to a place they'd already been. And the sphere builders had too much to risk to even get close to this planet again. They knew there was an existential threat here that could take down their whole system. And there were a thousand other solar systems within their reach that did not present such a danger. They'd just quarantine you and... No one would ever attempt it again. 
But that's not how humans work. We just keep hammering away at something until we figure it out or make it do what we want it to do. And if you kill enough of us, then the cost would be too high to give it up. You've been in our heads. You know what we'd do. We would turn it into a war. Humphreys looked at them all in turn, and then back to Maxine. She watched the truth of what she was saying dawn on him. Then Maxine said, We're your only hope. Mr. Humphreys narrowed his eyes. If all this is just leading to a crass ploy to get me to put aside my responsibility to the life of this world, then you have made a mistake. Your ships move very slowly. I will have time to analyze what I have learned from you and to plan the best response to future incursions. It was Laurent who spoke up this time. There are already more ships on the way. You used to have to wait until a colony was a confirmed success, but NHI and the others have been lobbying hard to be able to decrease launch intervals since, since day one, really. On one of my wake cycles, I got a company memo that said they had finally gotten Earth and Mars governments to give in. Additional launches have already begun. It doesn't matter, Maxine said. Because this isn't a ploy. We'll keep coming. It's a fact. But you don't have to destroy us or wait for us to destroy you. And you don't have to be alone anymore. You could even leave here someday, maybe. Or some part of you could. Maxine sank down to her knees. She could feel that Sumner and Laurent were looking at her. No idea where she was going with this. But she was focused on Oxalis now. She was the only one in the room who could see their way out of this. And Oxalis was the one she needed to convince. The arc of your life is longer than any of us could really understand. But you are not unchanging. You had to change before. You had to give up control and let the life of this world find its way. And now... You have to risk changing again. You need to grow. We are how you grow. And it has already started. You made this connection to me. And I can feel you on the other end of it. I can feel your doubt and your uncertainty. I can feel the tug of your curiosity in my mind. And I feel your hesitation. Stop holding back. What are you suggesting? Do to everyone... On the Contiki, what you did to me. Everyone's eyes widened. Show all of them what you showed me. All of it. More. Show them everything. Make them part of you and become part of us. Sumner spoke up now. I'm not sure any of us really know what you mean, Maxine. Or at least I don't, anyway. Maxine waved a hand toward the cave walls. This planet is a conscious, living thing. That consciousness runs through everything on the planet, and now it runs through me. It has begun to change me. I can feel things now that I have never felt before because I can feel 
She gestured to Mr. Humphreys. Him. I can feel the planet. It's big and it's vague, but I can feel... I can feel the warmth of the sun on the plants near the stream outside the cave. I can also feel that sun is almost down and the impending drop in temperature. I can feel the wind blowing across the field and being brought up short by the tree line. I can feel scavengers beginning to take notice of the animal you killed near the cave entrance. I can feel the worms in this cave. This is the time of day when they would be quiet, dark. They'd be heading into the moist corners to feed and conserve heat. Their days are actually much more of a rigid cycle than you might expect. I can feel that they are being held here by him, by the planet. And I know that they don't wonder why. And I can feel this planet's fear that we will be a destructive force the way we have been everywhere we go that we cannot be turned away and that we cannot be different than the violent horrors it found in our minds it is afraid that we will come here and tear into the ground and rip out the life around us with total indifference and that we do not have the patience to find a place to fit in here It is afraid that we will not wait and we cannot be reasoned with. And it is both wrong and right. We can change, but we will not change unless you make us. Sumner was incredulous. Is that what we're talking about? Changing people against their will? When Maxine spoke, it was with an authority that Sumner had never heard before. Life changes you against your will. Oxalus is right. We are destructive and we are greedy and we are short-sighted. We have to be better. We have to be made better because the life of this world deserves it. It has a right to make us change. She turned back to Mr. Humphreys. And we can change. We do it all the time. You look at our history, and from your perspective, it's all conflict and catastrophe and destruction. But to us, all of those things are trials we survived and learned from. We used to murder one another over land or religion or the color of our skin. We used to cage people because of their gender or who they had a relationship with. We used to leave each other to starve when there was plenty to go around. We don't do that anymore. We changed the hard way, but we changed. She smiled at the badger. We change faster and easier than you do. But what changes us is not reason or coercion. It's stories. It's stories and experience. We need to live something. You can make them live your life. You can make them live the story of this world the way you did with me. Then she turned back to Sumner and Laurent. We have to change now. There's no other solution. I know that goes against your every instinct. You want people to be able to choose. I didn't get to choose when my whole family was ripped out of the side of that ship. 
If I hadn't found a way to change after that, if I hadn't found a, a path to grow again, if I, hadn't, if I had stayed in the pain of that loss, it would have killed me. I was forced to change. Today, today I have been changed again. I am not the 15-year-old girl who left the ship this morning, and I think you see that. She was talking directly to Sumner now, and he nodded dumbly. I did not choose this. This place did this to me, and it is not done. My mind is still trying to incorporate everything it went through today, and I know that this day is only the beginning. I have seen things that neither of you nor anyone on the ship can possibly imagine, and I know that I have only just started down the path in front of me. I can sense this world around me, and there may come a day when I do not know the difference between myself and this world. There may come a day when there will be no difference. I am much more than I have been, but not nearly all that I shall be. There was something in Maxine now that was fearsome. She was physically the same teenage girl in the same worn-out t-shirt and past their prime leggings that Sumner had eaten meals with for the last set of years, but her eyes were aged well beyond all of that now. And it was not a worn-out age. It was all the strength and wisdom of years and knowledge. She had the bearing of someone whose understanding and vast intelligence was not to be questioned. This had all happened today to his daughter. He was both awed and outraged and had not the strength to express either. Then her expression softened. I'm still in here, Daddy. I hope that I will always still be in here. That little girl that all of you saw today, she's still in here too. She just had to change. Turning back to Humphreys, she said, You need us to communicate with the ones that will follow, and we will have to figure out together what we will say. But we have to be together. We have to be part of you, and you have to be part of us. It is the only way we will all survive. Mr. Humphreys turned away. He cupped his paws behind his back. A long silence stretched out between them. Then he spoke. This will be messy. If you were simple creatures whose reactions were easy to predict, who could be easily controlled, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. Some of you may not survive. Some of you may not be able to integrate me. We'll have to hope for the best. The coldness of how Maxine said this sent a shudder through Sumner. She said that the Maxine he knew was still in there, and he supposed he was going to have to take her word on that. He felt like there was going to be more than a little faith involved in what came next. I will give them, I'm giving you, a day. I will release them from their hiding places. They should eat and get their strength back. You should go back to your ship 
and tell them what is going to happen. Tell them that it is going to happen, whether they like it or not, and that they should prepare for it the way they might prepare for an oncoming storm. Tell them that like a storm or a quake or the change of seasons, I am inevitable. I am the price of their survival here. And when it is done, I shall appear to you, Maxine. You will be my liaison. Your people and I will be connected, but you will be the point at which that connection becomes a tangible thing. You will be the voice of your people and my voice to your people. Do you agree? Maxine answered without hesitation, yes. Mr. Humphreys smirked. You are correct that your journey has only just begun, and you will travel further than anyone else. Maxine nodded. Then she became conscious of Laurent watching her. She realized that Laurent, not being the planet or her adopted father, being essentially someone that Maxine had met only an hour or two before, was the closest thing she had to an outside perspective on the bargains she was now making on behalf of the people on the ship and all the generations of people that would ever come to this planet or be born on it. Maybe she should get to voice her opinion. What are you thinking, Lieutenant? Laurent arched an eyebrow as if she were amused they had all suddenly remembered she was there. Then she spoke seriously. The warrior in me wants to fight. She looked at Humphreys. It wants to find a way to wring your furry little neck. No offense. Mr. Humphreys nodded. Laurent turned back to Maxine. But the soldier in me, the person in me, the person who was inside your head just now, who saw who you were as a child and the choices you made, who you became or are becoming, that person, that person trusts you and will follow you wherever you lead. Maybe that is a soldier's way of thinking about it. I've known you less time than I've known literally anyone, but strangely, I have no doubts about you. Maxine nodded. Sumner stared at Laurent. If he understood what had just happened in this cave, his 15-year-old adopted daughter had just brokered a deal with an unimaginably vast alien intelligence to irrevocably change every person they knew and also become, what, president, queen, high priestess? And the only representative they had of any kind of outside authority had just sworn to follow her, whatever she ended up being. With a weak chuckle, he said, You think to yourself, maybe she'll grow up to be a doctor, maybe a lawyer, maybe a cop, like her dear old dad. Before Maxine could respond, Humphrey said, Leave him with me. He will not make it back to your ship, but... I may be able to do something for him. Maxine looked to Sumner, and Sumner nodded. You move me now. I'll be dead before you can get me out of this cave. Tears sprang to Maxine's eyes as she dropped down beside him. She took his hands in hers. Hey, he said. Don't give up on me yet. 
if any miracles are going to happen here, they ain't going to come from Doc Sandoval. I'm pretty sure that whatever your furry friend has got up his sleeve is probably my best bet. She kissed his cheek and covered his face in tears. I still need you. Do not die. Whatever happens next, I still need my dad. If I have anything to say about it, you'll have him. Now go. Maxine looked to Mr. Humphreys, who nodded to her. She stood up and joined Laurent. The two women made their way to the passage that led out of the cave. They turned back one last time. Behind them, they saw Mr. Humphreys standing before the inert Sumner Gray. All around them, there were trails of the bioluminescent worms making their way toward the sheriff. Laurent touched Maxine's arm, and they turned and left, headed back to the Contiki, headed back to change the definition of humanity forever. Chapter 64 Sumner emerged from the cave after five days. He had woken up covered in clumps of what seemed like thin white strands of silk. He had a feeling that he could not shake, a feeling like things had been crawling in him. Whether this was an echo of his terror of the burrowers, or the literal explanation for how he was able to move his body parts of his own volition once again, he couldn't say. He didn't really want to find out. The upside was that the holes that had been poked in him were now all sealed up. He looked down at his abdomen. The skin there felt strange and thin, like it was new skin that had not been fully cooked yet. He had an instinctual desire to cradle it and keep it from being too exposed. He had no way of telling for sure, but it also felt like the organs on the other side of that skin were back in their proper place. Even the kind of bruising or discoloration you might expect from that kind of physical trauma seemed to be just a faint shadow now. He felt whole again, and hungry, and he felt different. He had dreamed this world. It was coming back to him in surges of clarity. It was gentle revelation, like opening a door in your home and finding a room from your childhood that you now realize had been there all along. As he slept and healed, he had absorbed the life of this world, its history, its memory. God, this world had a memory. He felt himself as two consciousnesses trying to reconcile to one another. One stunned at the very notion that a planet would have a memory, and the other the natural possessor of that memory. These two decks of cards were being shuffled together and made square in his mind. It was less difficult than he might have expected. Then it was time to try his legs, time to re-enter this world that he could feel himself becoming more and more a part of. He was a little surprised that there was no one there to greet him, but he saw fairly quickly as he made his way back upstream that they had been busy. The wreckage from the command module had been arranged in neat piles, 
though the system for how these things were grouped together eluded him at first glance. And Laurent's comrades had been taken away. He presumed they had been burned or buried. He felt like he was making his way toward the outpost of a new civilization. He didn't know what customs he would find once he got there. He stopped in the stream and looked up at the sky for a moment. He had this sense that this was the last moment when the Sumner he was before, the town that he'd known before, the people who had been his community for his entire life, as they had been, would be distinct in his mind. They were about to become something totally new. Maybe they already had a head start on him. And this here in the stream was his last chance to live with the old Contiki. He had never been a sentimental man, but he needed to observe this thing as it passed. He came out of the woods and into the clearing where the century ship sat, and his instincts about the massive change that was underway were proven right almost immediately. Everyone was out. Thousands of people out in the field. There were tables set up with food on them. People were milling about and chatting, wandering in and out of groups. All around them, their children were playing, running around, shouting. Behind them, the Contiki loomed like a pressing question. At first glance... It looked exactly like how he had imagined the days after landing would look. Like people excitedly starting a brand new life that they had anticipated since the day they were born. A closer look showed him how many people were still physically weak, thin and sallow. Like people who had been through a taxing medical treatment or a famine. But... The most striking thing was the electric undercurrent of instant connection he felt as he walked into the field. It wasn't mind-reading, nothing so precise and direct as telepathy. It was more a clicking into place. Suddenly, he was in the loop of their common feeling and history and questions about the future. They had all been through the same thing. They had all had this planet's history, its trials and errors, its encounters with other species downloaded into their brains. This was not a question he had to ask. He knew this had happened. There was a feeling that they all understood the ramifications of this information and that it demanded changes of them, even if the exact shape of those changes were still, for the moment, something of a mystery. But there was no urgency. Everyone seemed to be patiently, confidently waiting for what came next. Human beings, thousands of them, patient and confident and content to wait. Every single one of them. He never would have believed it if he wasn't being carried along on that same current himself. It took him a long second to realize they were all looking at him. 
It wasn't as creepy or off-putting as it should have been, would have been in the scary movies and VRs of his youth. They had felt him enter the loop of their connectedness just as he had felt it when he came out of the forest. It was like he had slipped into a pool and they had all felt the ripple. Finley, from maintenance, was nearest to him. Hey, Sheriff. Good to see you up. Sumner nodded to him. Thanks. They all went back to what they'd been doing as Sumner began to move through them. As he passed by groups and huddles, he began to feel the shape of the community more completely. He felt their emotions in more detail, and along with that, a sense of the journey they had been on. They had gotten some kind of warning that this was coming. He had assumed that this had come via Maxine and Laurent. There had been fear, and there had been argument. But there was also a sense of relief. Then, it had happened. The journey for them had been a tad more abrupt. It had the feeling of atmospheric burn to it. They had been launched into the story of this planet, where... He had been walked through it at a more leisurely pace. He assumed that was because of his physical condition. That was another thing. There had been loss here. He felt the sorrow and the absence. It was like how your fingertips find a buttonhole on a shirt as you're putting it on. It was just there. An absence in the fabric of this connection they all shared. If he concentrated, he could tell that it had been two people. Two people had died. He couldn't tell who exactly. He would have to find out the details the old-fashioned way. He'd have to ask questions. He stopped and put his hand to his forehead. He felt overwhelmed for a minute. It was a strange feeling. It was as if you could sense the emotions around you like a like a topographical map of human connection. It was like he could feel the geological record of the ground he stood on as a, as a mental state. Or maybe it was the other way around. Ugh. He knew what the poets and writers of this new world would be spending the first few centuries trying to tease apart. Thank God that was not his job. And then, someone was hugging him. And then they had lifted his arm into the air to get a better look at his knitting gut wound. Sumner blinked and saw that it was Sandoval. Oh, that is amazing, she said. Sumner said, hi. Mm-hmm. You know, we visited you while you were out. Maxine and Laurent took me down to the cave and the planet came. It explained what it was doing and how. You don't want to know the details, by the way. I do. And it has promised to give me that information whenever I am ready. I needed a little time after that last thing. But maybe in a couple of days, or sooner if an emergency pops up, I guess. I feel fine, Sumner said, answering a question that had not been asked. Sandoval stopped and smiled at him. He knew she hadn't asked because she didn't need to. She put her hand on his chest and gave him a quick peck on the cheek. I am very happy that you are back. That didn't need to be said either, but there was something left over in Sumner that it was glad it had been. Everyone seems... Her face clouded a bit. It's been an adjustment, obviously, and it has not been without cost. 
Everyone seems to be processing it, but they are doing so together. Of course, there are a lot of reasons for lots of people to have a lot of personal anger, even in the face of something this enormous. I think that is why it, the planet, I suppose, is keeping some distance. This is especially true for those who were close to Edna and Julie. That's who was lost? Sandoval nodded. She didn't need to ask how he knew that there were those that had been lost. And I think what happened to the command module has shaken some people up. But there's also all of this stuff in our heads and this new sense of, well, we're different. We don't know how yet, exactly. We're in uncharted territory, and people are trying to figure out how this is going to work. But they're taking their time to figure it out. No one has gone off half-cocked, you're saying. No. That is one thing about being able to feel this, this thing, this connection. I think so much of people acting out comes from a feeling of isolation, thinking that no one feels the way you do or understands that you could be in pain. Now you know when other people feel the way you do, and you just go where they are. The details are a different matter, but you know when others are angry or grieving or confused. The people who feel the same way know, and so do the people who are in a position to offer some kind of help. Sumner nodded. Then he surveyed the crowd. They did seem at ease with the looming and uncertain future that was about to come crashing down on all of them. He did too, honestly. It was paradoxical, but it felt right. He looked at Sandoval, and before he could say anything, she looked off to the north and said, She's over that way. Thanks, Sumner said. He wandered off through the crowd. As he went, he could feel the picture of the community and the lives around him becoming more and more complete. It was like they'd been given a new level of consciousness that had been slid into that space between subconscious and active thought. It was something they all had access to. He wondered... If this is how it felt now, so soon after waking into it, how would it change and evolve as they got used to tapping into it? How would it change and how would it change them? He guessed they were going to find out. He came to the north end of the gathered town and he saw her. Maxine was some distance from the gathered community, walking in the tall grass with Mr. Humphreys. They were talking. Or did it just feel like they were talking. Watching them, their body language was that of two people in conversation, but he did not see their mouths moving. It also struck him that he could see Mr. Humphreys. Oxless was making itself visible, not just to Maxine, who was actively engaged with, but also to those who might be looking on from a distance. That was interesting. Sumner wondered why that was the choice, but he could not begin to answer that now. If this new kind of human connection would be the province of artists and poets, then who would deal with the motivations of this vast consciousness that would now be part of them forever? Would that be for scientists and politicians, or theologians and priests? The thought was a small, dark cloud that passed over him quickly, but it did not pass completely. It found a little corner of his mind to wait for when he needed to consider it more closely, and that wouldn't be today. 
As he watched, Maxine and Mr. Humphreys came to a stop, faced one another, and then the kind of a gesture that said that something had been decided or some kind of conclusion had been reached, the badger was gone. Just like that. He was there, and then he wasn't. And now, Maxine was turning to look in Sumner's direction, as though she had always known he was there. He started across the field toward her. That was when he noticed Laurent for the first time. She was several meters away from where Maxine had been in conversation with the planet. She was standing tall and attentive, scanning the horizon. When her gaze came to him, as he made his way across the clearing, she nodded and smiled. He had a sense she had been there the entire time, a respectful distance but close enough to cover the gap if she was needed. She'd been there the entire time, and he felt on a deep level that she always would be there from here on out. Then he was to Maxine and she was hugging him, and a feeling that everything, all the most important things in the universe, had been put right. And a tension that he had no idea he was carrying fled his body so quickly that he felt his legs might buckle right out from under him. He put his face in her hair and just stood there. Maxine, for her part, let the embrace go on for as long as he needed it to. Finally, Sumner stepped back and looked her in the eye. Sandoval says you guys came out to check on me. Yes, you were asleep. Hmm. Or, more than sleep, we asked Mr. Humphreys if you were in a coma, but he seemed to be a little confused by that distinction. There are weird gaps in understanding like that. How do you feel? Overslept? Stiff. Parts of me seem thin. This new skin, it doesn't quite feel like me, even though it clearly is. I guess there's still some ways to go before I'm all the way cooked, maybe. Sumner stepped back and opened his arms. And you guys could have left me a change of clothes, as long as you were paying visits to my bedside. Maxine wrinkled her nose and let a pained expression take over her face. A change of clothes would have been a waste until after you had showered. Sumner took in a deep sniff and was appalled that he hadn't noticed that before. Dear Jesus, are we sure I didn't die? It's an open question, Pop. And she was Maxine. For a few moments, as he remembered her, she was Maxine. She was his adopted... She was his daughter. Then... Something happened in her eyes. They deepened and became darker but more clear. She looked away from him toward the gathered citizens of the Contiki. Many of the group nearest to them were looking at her. There was expectation in their faces. Patient, unhurried, but expectation nonetheless. You feel it. Maxine said this is a statement, not a question. We're all linked now. To each other, to Oxalis. This is just the beginning. Sumner realized with a little shudder that one of the things that had happened while he was asleep was that these people, these thousands of people of all ages and education and background and ambition, from council members to scientists to artists to maintenance workers, they had all accepted this 15-year-old girl as their leader. He felt it just as he felt their grief and their hope and their wonder. 
He felt it in that mid-level sense that now united them all. And he felt it in himself, too. She was his daughter. He was her father and her protector. And she would be showing him the way. When she looked back up at him, he could see that she knew he had accepted this. They didn't need to speak of that part of it. But there were other questions to be asked. There's a lot of weight on you now. I can feel it. He nodded toward Laurent, who watched attentively. Clearly, she can feel it. How do you feel? I am scared. She smiled as she said it. Of all the things I thought I might be when I grew up, this... This was never on the list. I know what you feel. I know what all of them feel. None of you know what I feel. Not yet. I can feel the small creatures that make their home in this field. I can feel them at its edges watching us. I can feel how Oxalus is holding them back for now. I can feel the subtle influence that connects them to this planet. I can feel it in the insects that are in the trees whose daily puttering has been disrupted in small ways by our presence. There are living things beneath our feet, deep underground, who are confused by the strange vibrations we create, and they're struggling to adjust to it. They can't understand them. They just know something is different. She looked at him, and the age and fear working at the edge of her little girl's face almost broke his heart. You'll feel what I feel someday, and I have to tell you that it is dangerously close to madness for us and everything else that lives here. We are changing Oxalis as it changes us, and there is the thinnest chance that all of this will not just fly apart. I can see the eye of the needle that we have to pass through, and right now, I am the only one who can see it. I see it even more clearly than Oxalis does. Practically, there's just a lot to figure out. We're going to start in this valley. Humans are builders, and Oxalis has never tolerated builders before. We're also carelessly destructive, and that will have to change. Then you have the different ideas about time. Oxalis has always moved at a pace of eons. We don't have that luxury. We'll need to make plans soon, and the planet, it finds, it finds that a frustrating thing to accommodate, and it won't talk to anyone directly unless I am there. So they're all looking to me for the answers. Fear gripped Sumner in that moment. Fear for what they were doing to her. Sure, she would show them the way. It very well might bleed her dry and break her in half before she was 16 years old, but she would show them the way. Dear God, was there no other way forward than stealing what little had been left of this little girl's childhood? Now, for a brief second, the teenager was back. And they're all looking to me, and I don't have the answers yet. Sumner felt her worry and uncertainty go from a low-cycling swirl in the current around them to a growing royal. It was still such an odd sensation to be able to feel these things. 
But he didn't have time to marvel at it because he noticed Laurent look over and narrow her gaze. He quickly realized two things. Maxine was keeping this distance from the rest because she didn't want them to feel how strong this disquiet was in her mind. And she was still a kid who needed her dad, though likely in ways that no child ever had before. He drew her back into him. You know, since the day you came to live with me, I always knew that you were in a state of transition. From kid into young adult, for sure. But also from grieving orphan into, well, whatever's on the other side of grieving orphan. Happy was pretty much what I had hoped for on any given day. The future was wide open for you before all of this was set in front of you. And I was never quite sure if I knew how to prepare you for that future. And I know I cannot prepare you for this. No one could. And apparently, the time for preparing is over anyway. It seems like it's already happening. But the one thing I do know is that so long as there is breath in my body, I will be here to stand next to you come what may. He looked out at the Contiki, at its people, the grass, and BGDGF-85 rising up out of the horizon. You're a leader now, and leadership is lonely sometimes, especially for someone who has to lead people somewhere no one has ever gone before. But however lonely you might feel, know that you will never be alone. Maxine squeezed him. Thank you, Dad. Always, he said. Now, what do you need? Maxine said, right now? Right now I need food. Sumner smiled. Me too. And, Maxine said, I need you to take a bath. Sumner said, me too. Epilogue The ship designated the Shan Shen, was 50 years from its destination. It carried 3,105 passengers. Their families had come from Earth and Mars, but they were people who'd been born in space and hoped to die at ripe old ages on a distant planet they called Oxalis. They thought that when they arrived, they would be greeted by people like themselves, people of the void, children, of the vacuum. But the people who would welcome them to their new home would be something different, something brand new in the universe. They would be Oxaleans, the first of their kind, and they would be happy to welcome the people of the Shan Shan into the fold.
This has been Maxine and the Planets Unknown by Brad Lawrence. Intro music, Bumbling by Pictures of the Floating World. Outro music, Children by the Creek by Chad Crouch. And again, thank you guys so much for listening to Maxine and the Planets Unknown. I hope you loved Maxine and Sumner and Laurent and Sandoval as much as I did, and Mr. Humphreys and Selena Simon and the Planet Oxalis. I'll be back soon with something new. In the meantime, please do drop me a line. Let me know how it all made you feel. Thanks for being here.